Welcome to episode 103 of Kyperian Commentary. I'm your host, Yuri Brito. The Lord's Day carries remarkable continuity with the Sabbath, we might say. Consider it this way. The Sabbath was a creation ordinance to indicate the rest that God had when he completed his labors. When God made man and woman, he said it was very good. So he brings to life new flesh, bearing his image. When the Lord's Day, or as we might say, the first day of the week comes to life in a new covenant, it also carries the promise of rest. It was there where God raised Jesus from the dead, promising rest to all humanity. The new humanity is going to find rest in the true Sabbath, Jesus Christ. The Sabbath indicated God's rest when he made the first man. And we can say the Lord's Day indicates God's rest in raising the true man, Jesus Christ. Now, that bit of theologizing may seem fine and dandy on a manual, but what about the details? What about the exegesis that make it so? How do we assume that the Sabbath has been transformed into the Lord's Day? What about the various Jewish festivals? What about uh, the calendar of Israel? Where does it fit? Where do we see the transitional key phrases and language that indicates for us that indeed the Lord's Day has become the new Sabbath, a glorified Sabbath, we might say? Our guest on this episode is Pastor Stuart Bryan. Stuart has been a pastor in Trinity Church in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, since 2007. He received the Master of Arts in Theological Historical Studies from RTS in Orlando. He has been involved with lots of different classical conversation goodness, and he is the author of a book that I've just finished entitled The Taste of the Sabbath, How to Delight in God's Rest. Uh, Stuart, delight to have you, my brother. Thank you for having me. Stuart, that sense of piety that comes when you watch for the first time, the second or third, when you watch uh, Chariots of Fire, and um, when you hear Eric Little giving himself wholly to this Scottish Sabbatarian cause, and then he says, or at least Hollywood has him saying, when I run, I feel his pleasure. You, uh, interesting enough, on an aside to that, so that's the good Sabbatarian, right? The good things, that the good vision, the good life of a good Sabbatarian. But in the book, uh, I think it's in chapter five, you articulate the story from Little House on the Prairie, where the Sabbath is not viewed from an angle of happiness or joy or delight, but it's viewed from the angle of sheer misery, no pleasure whatsoever. It was a delightful little introduction. I wonder, Stuart, if you can refresh our listeners to that story in a synopsis fashion, but if also you can give us a little personal sense of what was your experience like growing up and how you came to these ideas on the Sabbath. Sure. Uh, yeah. So one of our, uh, when we, when our kids were young, our kids are grown now and uh, we've got grandkids coming up. Uh, but when our kids were uh, young, one of our traditions was to read the Little House on the Prairie series. And in one of those, uh, Laura is uh, on a Sunday having to sit still and she can't really play loudly with her dolls and she's having a miserable time of it. <laughs> and uh, so uh, her uh, father sits her down and tells her just how good she's got it by telling her how bad his father had it. <laughs> um, um, and uh, the story with his father and his uh, uncles was that it was the middle of winter. They were making a sled. 
Uh, and wouldn't you know it, they finished it just on Saturday night when it was getting dark. And so they weren't going to be able to use the sled until Monday. And for a young kid, that is just a, a great trial. So on Sunday after church, uh, their dad happened to fall asleep. And so they decided that they would sneak out of the house and use the sled, even though it was breaking the Sabbath, right? Mm -hmm. in, in their uh, uh, mindset, uh, and certainly in the cultural milieu at the time. And so they sneak out of the house, they go up, they ride the sled down the hill. Uh, but in God's providence, as they're racing down the hill, trying their hardest not to scream or yell or anything of the sort, uh, a pig darts out of the, of the <laughs> forest <laughs> and they hit this pig and it ends up on the sled with them. And so it starts screaming uh, as they're racing past the front door of the, of the house. They look over and there's their dad who's now come out of the house, giving him a dirty look. Uh, so they trudge back home and they, they know they're in trouble and uh they interestingly enough he tells laura they they didn't get a spanking that day because their dad didn't want to have to do work that day right right uh, so, so they had to wait till monday <laughs> oh the the whole concept right uh, behind that type of thinking is that they were taking uh many of the american puritans particularly in the way they applied uh, the Sabbath teaching assumed that the Pharisees interpretation of the Sabbath was right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Assumed that conceiving of the Sabbath as a fast rather than a feast mm -hmm. uh, is fundamentally correct. Uh, but throughout his ministry, right, Jesus is poking holes in that misinterpretation of the Sabbath and misapplication of the heart of the Sabbath and the principles that that lie at the heart of the Sabbath. Uh, so uh, it's you know some of the baggage that we have to deal with as people who want to say, hey, the Lord's Day is in the Westminster Confession of Faith uh, words, the Lord's uh, Day is the Christian Sabbath, uh, and uh, so people immediately associate that with stories like mm -hmm. uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder's uh, story there and uh, assume that, you know, I, that Laura ends, you know, the, the story ends by her contemplating that, you know, Sunday was over and it would be another week until Sunday came again. And she, she was so glad to get that over with, right? Uh, rather than framing the Lord's Day as a day of the light, of worship, mm -hmm. of, of refreshment and rest and joy and feasting as the best day of the week. Right? Mm -hmm. For her, it was the worst day of the week. It was drudgery and um, it was death. So, mm -hmm. uh, so that, that was uh, that story and, and the... Uh, the framing of, of that. I don't know about you. Um, uh, my, those who are watching this interview here may, may just assume you're just a young fella, but you have five grandkids. So you've been around a little bit. 
But yeah. I would presume that when both of us were growing up, that there were certain expectations of the kinds of things that were allowed in society, or at least in the marketplace on Sundays. Um, I, I wonder in, in some ways, you, you mentioned this in the introduction, but that if the church indeed leads the culture in these kinds of scenarios here, where has the where has the church failed in its task? In other words, should we look back and say, oh, the glory days, um, obviously things were a little more different. There was at least a more general consensus consensus on the nature of the Sabbath, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, yeah, actually I've got six grandchildren now. Six and grandchildren. Another, and another yeah. coming. Update your uh, bio. In a, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've got to fix it. Congratulations. Uh, they keep coming. Actually, I've got two more on the way. So, Amen. but one is coming here soon, and then another one in a few months. So, I had this brilliant thought, and it just—it <laughs> escaped as I was thinking about my grandkids. Uh, remind me what you asked me again. No problem. The question. Oh, yeah. Could... yeah, go ahead. Blue law. Yeah. Correct. So, um, I do think that yeah, there was a consensus. The Lord's Day is the Christian Sabbath that we are to prioritize worship uh, on the Lord's Day, things of that sort. I do think that part of our struggle in uh, wrestling through thinking about the Lord's Day is missing the focus of the Sabbath command, which is often uh, to those in positions of power, authority, um, influence who can um abuse or tyrannize those under their authority, right? That again, that Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath is a gift to us as his people. Uh, when God rescued Israel out of Egypt, the, one of the first things he gives them is the gift of the Lord's, the, the Sabbath, right? So that they can rest from their labor. They had been slaves in Egypt, forced to work. Now they're given this gift of rest again. And so uh, in a uh, society that reflects biblical law, you're going to find that type of restriction of commerce on the Lord's day, uh, because uh, who is most vulnerable to exploitation, right? It's employees, immigrants, uh, the poor, right? Politicians don't care if there's business going on on Sunday because that means their tax revenues go up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and business owners often will have, right, compel employees uh, to work on Sunday. Meanwhile, they take it off. Uh, they they have their weekend. They have forced their employees to work that day. <laughs> so uh, the the focus of the Sabbath command is to give their slaves rest, their oxen rest, their uh, their children rest. Uh, and so I think that that helps us think about, okay, what would a societal approach to uh, the Lord's Day look like? It is going to look like a restriction of commerce, not necessarily a restriction of activity, right? So this is where Phariseeism goes wrong. Phariseeism re- uh, approaches the Sabbath as though it's a restriction of certain types of movement, right? Uh, Whereas the real heart of the Sabbath, you know, Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon, right? Um, If mammon is your idol, then commerce will be the center of 
uh, your society, and every day is devoted to commerce, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if God is the center of society, then six days you will labor and do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall do no work, right? You, you, you recognize all this ability to produce comes as a gift from God. All of our ability to grow, to sanctify, to um, gain wealth and accumulate wealth comes as a gift from God. And so uh, we will, uh, in thankfulness to God, uh, publicly acknowledge him as the giver of all these good gifts. You know, the Pharisees tended to use the Sabbath command to um, beat the common person. Right. Right. For lack of a better term. Right. Whereas it was really meant to beat them. Right. Mm -hmm. in, in their positions. Of, right. So what does it mean for me as a father? and shepherding my home? What does it mean for me as an employer in running my business? What does it mean for me as a magistrate in uh, ruling my city or as a legislator in passing laws for our community? The Sabbath in the Old Testament, and I think the way that Jesus fleshes it out in his own life, mm -hmm. is it's a gift, uh, a way of ensuring that God's people don't conceive of themselves as slaves to work, mm -hmm. but as uh, those made in the image of God who um, can look at their work and rest in what God has done and what they have done in satisfaction. So. Stuart, one of the things that has sort of been stirred through all these conversations is that the Sabbath in the Old Testament contrary to some sort of wild speculations, is not so much this kind of imposition of power, but is a relief for those who are powerless. And if the idea is the preservation of, of, of justice and equity, um, that means necessarily that the, the religious leaders' imposition of these regulations went above and beyond when the regulations, uh, so to speak, the Sabbath rules or regulations from the scriptures were meant to moderate their their abuses of the people now that of course i think has all sorts of implications for what was happening in temple worship in the first century but um, i, I want to touch on that issue specifically in its application to how we do the lord's day if the sabbath let's just assume here glorifies the way i think james jordan would phrase it and has become the lord's day for us how does that sense of justice and um, granting rest to the weary. How does that apply to the the gathering of the people of God on the Lord's Day? I don't know if you can elaborate on that that general mm -hmm. thought there. It says in uh, Nehemiah chapter eight, right? Nehemiah, who is the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, "This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law." And then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I mean, I think if we could summarize, right, how, how we should be approaching the Lord's day, right, how we should be encouraging our people to think about it, right, that, that should be like our neon sign, mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. 
So uh, endeavoring to cultivate within our hearts, within our, our congregation, that sense of joy and delight, uh, a holy reverence for the Lord that is just full of joy and awe. Mm-hmm. So that it's not um, simply a, a glum solemnity, right? But um, a joyful reverence. And I, I think that this is evident, right? When we when we look at the original giving of the uh, Sabbath command, particularly in, in, in its categorization in the law, it's categorized among the feasts, right? So yes. the weekly Sabbath is categorized among the feasts of Israel. Um, so, you know, we know what it is to feast. Our kids know what Christmas is, mm-hmm. right? And they look forward to it. Our kids know about Easter, right? And, and they're excited about it, about their birthday, uh, right? These things are feasts. So how do we uh, train our congregation, right? If we're pastors or elders, how do we get our people to think that way about the Lord's Day? If I'm uh, a father, how do I help my wife and my children so that the the Lord's Day becomes um, a feast, right? That each day we're celebrating God's goodness uh, to us, to our congregation, to our community, so that thankfulness and delight overwhelms, right? So, you know, Things like hospitality, uh, right? Having uh, good food, uh, right? The folks in Moscow, right? Uh, at Canon Press do lots of great stuff, right? They have lots of great ideas uh, promoting that type of uh, thinking about the Sabbath. But, you know, anything we can do to think along those lines uh, to call the Sabbath a delight, uh, mm-hmm. and to rejoice in God's goodness and kindness to us. That's great. Well, I think um, the, a couple of a couple of things here. The, the first one is in reference to the probably the most probably the most used when it comes to passages when it comes to discussing the Sabbath from Isaiah fifty eight, and we have that um, that glorious scene there where the prophet says, if you turn away from your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure in my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor find your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. Much of the debate, uh, Stuart, seems to be centered around this language that says, if you essentially keep from doing your own pleasure or calling the Sabbath a delight, and right. the implication is that Listen, as long as you don't find any entertainment on the Sabbath, <laughs> your days shall be long in the land that the Lord your God gives you. Right. You, know? you yes. when you you touch this uh, towards the end of the book, and I thought it was very helpful. Elaborate a little bit how you sort of interpret that language from the prophet Isaiah, and w- what's what is the prophet castigating? Right. Yeah. So, right. First rule of biblical interpretation, and the second rule, and the third one: context, context, context. Right. right? right. So. So Isaiah has already used this phrase, uh, finding your pleasure, right, in that very chapter earlier. Oh, well, just beginning at verse one, he says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, right? They have this hypocritical kind of worship. They observe the Sabbath. 
and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? And then here's what God says. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Um, you know, so here we have a parallelism, right? What was their pleasure? Their pleasure was exploiting their laborers, right? Mm -hmm. it, it was uh, violating God's law. It was Their pleasure wasn't throwing a Frisbee right? Or, or playing outside with their friends or playing loud with their dolls or sledding down the hill, right? Mm -hmm. That's, but that's the way Phariseeism interpreted doing your pleasure, right? Mm -hmm. Phariseeism says, have a long face. This needs to be gloom and serious. Uh, but when Isaiah is rebuking them for finding their pleasure, it's a sinful pleasure of violating the Sabbath by exploiting their laborers. When God, through Jeremiah and others, announces that the Sabbath is going to be taken away, it's a sad thing. Mm -hmm. right? It's a grief. Uh, he's taking away their feasting. He's taking away their, their opportunity to rest. Um, whereas for Laura, right, if, if she had been told, we're going to take Sundays away, she would have been, yay, right? I'm so excited this because it is the worst day ever. That abuse of Isaiah 58 and the failure to read it uh, in the context of what Isaiah is doing, uh, that their pleasure was, uh, in fact, violating the Sabbath, which was to give rest and joy uh, to their people, uh, that uh, is just a huge problem. The other thing is, so by the time the religious leaders come to the picture in the first century, Jesus already has all this knowledge of how this whole shebang has been misinterpreted through the centuries. Yes. And what, one of the things you bring up on, on page 99, which I know you haven't, uh, I know the feeling of going back to books you haven't, you've written a long time ago. <laughs> you, you write this. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, This is the Gospel of Mark, which I'm preaching on. I'm assuming you preached on through as you worked through this passage here. Yeah. You write, um, he could have healed a man simply by his power, but he made the clay purposefully to poke at the absurdity of the Pharisaic restrictions. They were straining that and swallowing a camel. That's a, a relatively, I hadn't thought through those categories, but if you followed the trajectory of Mark, uh, we're working through a, a commentary manuscript with Rich Lust for Athanasius on the Gospel of Mark, and mm -hmm. that was a very clear point that you made. It really kind of crystallized certain things for me. The, traje the trajectory, at least in Mark's Gospel, is one of sheer mockery again and again and again. In the questions mm -hmm. Jesus asks, in the way he answers them, Mark is a much more straightforward gospel writer. So it would make sense that he is going to take all this knowledge he has of how the Sabbath has been misinterpreted, and he does miracles, from what you're saying, purposefully to right. mock these religious leaders who have been abusing abusing the weak. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think you see the same thing in uh, with the healing of the blind man, right, in John chapter 9, yes, where yes. Jesus... Yeah, 
split. I mean, think about Jesus' life, right? Or the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, right? I mean, he could have healed him on another day. Correct. Yeah. He could have organized his schedule in such a way, right? But it's as though he's going out of his way, right? Take up your mat and walk. Why didn't you just tell him to walk away, right? Why, why is he telling me, you know, take up your mat? Well, because the Pharisees would have saw, seen that. Whoa, wait, what are you doing? Um, and uh, so too, you know, in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus uh, goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath and he knows that they're watching him to see if he's going to heal this guy with the withered hand. And he undermines their whole approach uh, to uh, the Sabbath, right? Which was one of uh, restriction and fasting versus one of healing and restoring and giving. Um, so uh, is it lawful, right? He asks on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. Right? And, you know, they don't answer him. And so then he, he answers the question. He heals the man. Um, and then, you know, in Mark's fitting irony here, right, then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Rodians against him how they might destroy him. Right. So they're doing evil on the Sabbath. Jesus is doing good. Um, and uh, their restriction of healing on the Sabbath was simply revealing what was in their hearts. It's why they plotted to destroy Jesus on uh, the Sabbath. They were already destroying the people of God, right? The, right. Remember where Jesus will say, you know, um, this woman who's been bound for 11 years, right? Think of it. Uh, think of what that means. You know, shouldn't she be released from this burden, right? Isn't, isn't that the very heart of what the Sabbath is? It's, um, right, so remember the two rationales of uh, the Sabbath in the Old Covenant were, one, God's creative activity. In six days, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. On the seventh, he rested. And then the second is God's redemptive activity in Deuteronomy. Uh, that you remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. And so you're to give rest uh, to your slaves, right? So these two rationales of God as creator and God as redeemer, right? Both of them emphasize God is the giver of, God is the giver of life. God is the giver of redemption to uh, his people. It's a blessing, and so Jesus' conception of the Sabbath is, it is a blessing, right? Um, it's a gift. So he, uh, right after he, in, in Mark chapter one, in what I argue in my book, Mark's presenting kind of a, a typical Sabbath day in mm -hmm. the life of the Lord, uh, that he goes to the synagogue, he worships, and when he comes back, he comes to Peter's home and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then she gets up and she serves them, right? She's uh, uh, showing them hospitality. That that type of mutual giving, right, and rejoicing is the type of thing that should characterize our um, uh, Sabbath thinking, acting, living 
rejoicing. So, let me quote uh, the the last page here, which was a, just a lovely uh, closing introduction. Here, should we not foster in ourselves and our children longing for the Lord's day, a longing for this day that is the best day of the week? For our diligence to enter the weekly rest in the Lord's day mirrors our determination to enter our final rest. If if that's the case, if the Sabbath is uh, scatological, right? If right. our final rest is going to be filled with absurd glory and joy, then any other glimpse that we have on earth that's contrary to that final rest is a contradiction in terms, right? Right, right. Yeah, and right, the part of coming to the Lord's Day is getting a, a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? Well, is that going to be a joyful occasion or yeah. is it going to be a gloomy occasion? Yeah. Uh, here we are. We're gathering together as the people of God in the presence of God, where God serves us as his people. Uh, he loves us. He speaks to us. He summons us. He feeds us. Uh, it seems to me that that's an occasion for rejoicing and giving thanks, right? Um, and then, right, God invites us to his table um, so that he teaches us to invite others to our tables, right, to show hospitality, to uh, love one another, to, um, you know, be in one another's homes and things of that sort. So that, uh, again, that kind of short summary in Nehemiah, right, eat yeah. the fat, right, uh, is... I just think such a fitting way of thinking and orienting our thinking about the Lord's day. Um, Cause it's easy to get to, to shift focus to, okay, what can't we do? What, right. right. Rather than what can we do? What, what should we do? Um, and asking ourselves, okay, is this, when when we do have to face one of those decisions right okay should i you know should i be doing that on the lord's day right should, should i prioritize that thinking about it in terms of okay is this will that activity enable me to enjoy god enjoy his people uh serve his people more or less right is it pushing me more in the direction of feasting and joy or is it pushing me towards being you know worn out harried um uh distracted from the service of the lord um how, how do i think about that right uh so you know for me you know i'm in my office most of the week um it, it doesn't bother me on a sunday i've got a riding lawnmower I find it kind of refreshing to go out in my yard and ride around my yard and mow my lawn, you know, occasionally. Yeah. Um, now, if I if if my business were mowing lawns all week, uh, that's the last thing on earth that I would do, <laughs> right? That would not be, you know. So some of it is is thinking through the principle, right? That is at the heart of uh the lord's day which is the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath it's not a burden to to lay on man's shoulders but a gift to give him um i, I just love you know as you meditate on the creation story and you see right these god's creative activity 
and the seventh day he rests, right? Well, God's not tired, right? Right. So what is his rest? It's his looking at all that he has created and it is very good. Mm -hmm. He is rejoicing in the fruit of his labor. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for us too, right? Part of our rest on Sunday is acknowledging what God has done for us, acknowledging what we've been able to achieve and what he's going to empower us to achieve still more, uh, giving thanks to him um, and acknowledging that we can't do any of this apart from his empowering grace. So, Stuart Bryan is the pastor of Trinity Church in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. The book's called The Taste of Sabbath, How to Delight in God's Rest. And for many of you who have uh, asked the question, what's a good introductory work on the Lord's Day or the Sabbath, the debate or discussion? This is a wonderful introduction to the topic that I would highly encourage you to get. And I think it's published by Canon Press. So I'm sure they have a few hundred in stock if you want to purchase them for your congregation for studies. Stuart, this is a wonderful conversation, very practical and very pastoral in orientation. I want to thank you for your time, my brother, writing the book and for this interview. Thank you. 